Dev's the loudest guy in the building. Like, wherever room he walks in, you know he's there because <laughs> he doesn't shut up. Bill just called both of us Dev. So we started in training camp early on where if he wore red sli- long sleeves, I wore red long sleeves. So we wear the same thing, same fleece. And one day, he, I mean, do you assholes have to wear the same exact clothes every day you come to practice? Yo, 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 welcome to RG3 in the Ones, a Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Robert Griffin III, and on this show, we're talking to the Ones. I mean, the Ones at the top of the industry of sports and entertainment who don't just, you know, great at the game, but they know the game and they study it. And, uh, you know, I'm just the one that crowned Patrick Mahomes as the second greatest quarterback in NFL history after only six years of being a starting quarterback because, uh, yeah, he's got three Super Bowl rings and he's trying to three-peat next year. Woo, that is incredible. And uh, I also just turned 34 on Monday, so uh, your boy is getting old. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I feel old too. I really do. Um, it is what it is. I can still play, so if a team wants to call me, call me, but... 34 i'm getting up there man i don't have many more years of, of trying to trying to play football but at the end of the day uh, i just got a little more seasoning um you know not old i am seasoned but i want you guys to know that none of this is possible without you so we need you guys to like and subscribe to our youtube page and make sure you follow us on social media like we're going to be dropping daily clips but every single thursday is when the episodes are going to drop so if you follow us on social media at rg3 and the ones you'll be able to see some of these clips from the show to get you excited about that one and also for the one that will be coming in the next week so again subscribe to our youtube page follow us on social media and make sure you catch all these gems that we're gonna have coming your way coming up on this episode i'm talking to the one who is the first nfl player to win a super bowl with his twin brother i'm talking about the former nfl cornerback turned host of an emmy award-winning show who played 13 seasons in the nfl who cares about the teams 13 years is a lot of years to play the super bowl champ himself Jason McCourty, welcome to the show, brother. I appreciate you, man. I need that type of energy in every introduction I get, no matter where I go. So I appreciate the love, man. Hey, man, I got you, brother. Now, we did say you played 13 years. Do you think you could still play right now? Hell no. Couldn't play. (laughs) Don't want to play. I'm thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing now. As you know, I see you on ESPN doing the TV thing, racing eagles and all types of things. Every now and then, you got to show them a glimpse that I'm still an athlete. I can still do some things, but you just want them to think you can still play. I, I I can't get out there and cover anybody. If I'm out there, somebody better probably attack me out there at the corner spot. <laughs> well, see, see, you peep game, Jason. You peep game. You understand. Sometimes you got to show them, you know what I mean? Like a little run here, a little jump there. They'd be like, oh, wow, he still, he still got it. Even no doubt you, about it. You might not, but at least you and, – and thank you for getting it right. As far as the bird, right? Uh, and not calling it a pigeon like my man Jay Gruden. So, uh, listen, when you play the game near the end of your career, I wanted to ask you this before we dive into the Super Bowl recap or anything else like that with Bill Belichick. But you played corner, I believe, for 11 or 12 years, and then you made the transition over to safety. How was that transition for you? And what's the biggest difference between playing corner and playing safety? The, the transition from a knowledge standpoint was easy for me. I always prided myself as a cornerback to fully understand the defense. There was times where I'd be given the safety to call or, or be acknowledging what was going on with emotion or shift of anything of that nature. So from a knowledge standpoint, like I picked up right away and was able to learn everything. 
and then was a captain while I was a corner. So when it came to communicating and having control of the back end, I felt very comfortable in that from that standpoint. The biggest difference is at corner, I'm out there one-on-one. Like I might be going against the best receiver, but it's just me and him one-on-one. At that safety spot, next thing you know, I'm in Miami. Jonathan Taylor splits through the line. It's just me and him one-on-one. There's no okay. sideline as your friend. <laughs> it's a one-on-one tackle in the middle of the field. And right. when you miss, everybody knows you miss. You, you get up off the ground, you turn around, it's 50 yards later, and he's True. in the end zone. I quickly found out in my last year, I was like, you know what? If I got to play safety, it's probably time for me to go ahead and hang these cleats up. It was different <laughs> when you transition in just on third down and right. you're moving to safety on third down to get more DBs on the field from right. having to do it first and second down. So the biggest difference is to me is you have to communicate a lot more at that safety spot. You have to know what the other, other 10 players on the football field are doing because you have to make everything right. Any type of correction, anything of that nature you have to shift over. And then just the angles of playing football, you're talking about now you're in the deep part of the field where you may not have action for 48 plays. And on play 49, nobody touched the best player on the field. If it's a Saquon Barkley or one of these guys, and you got to get them on the ground one-on-one. So there's an appreciation now when I watch the game and you see safeties, whether you get ran over or whatever, you get a guy on the ground, that's one hell of a tackle. Exactly. And and it's funny because you you're saying that and you you articulated the difference between corner and safety so well. I've never heard anybody break it down quite like that. But as people are going to be listening to this, that sometimes might feel like, oh, DB is all the same no matter where you play it. And I know you did transition, um, like you're saying, to play safety as a corner when you were on teams like the Patriots. But that's yep. different than playing safety 24-7. So appreciate you breaking that down. And when you look at this from, uh, you know, you got you got a twin brother. I think that's a pretty, pretty uh, amazing thing. I wish I, I think I, I think everybody wishes they had a twin. Uh, yeah, I, don't know, I, don't need, I don't know if we need another RG3, though. That, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> That'd be a lot. It would be a lot. You, you got two of these guys out here racing <laughs> Eagles. Come on, man. When you look at this from just you and your brother, I know you guys extremely competitive growing up, probably. Uh, but you have to ask yourself of like. Which two sets of brothers does it better? Is it is it you and Devin or is it Jason and Travis? Come on, man. I love, <laughs> I love, love me some Jason and Travis, Kelsey. I ran into Travis one day in New York City and the energy that, do, I mean, you saw Jason Kelsey at the, at the after party from the Super Bowl with the mask on. Yep, and the and everything. Like those dudes have become superstars, but there's no brother tandem in the world, whether it's the Mannings, the Watts, Whoever it is you want to bring forward, and I'm going to put in front of Devin and myself. Um, no other brothers have won a Super Bowl together, so we have the claim of fame. I just don't need Jason to join Travis or anything <laughs> like that because then that, that's going to blow us out of the water. We're lucky. JJ don't retire, so he don't have a shot. So right now we're looking pretty good. We got to keep this thing going. Um, right. But no, nah, I love those guys. I think for us being twins, is very unique. The Pounceys, they were doing it. Um, yep. Got a chance to talk to them quite a bit. Um, just having brothers within the league is, a, is yeah. a, a very cool type of relationship. And you see with those two guys, the way they support one another. And I know Dev played in five Super Bowls, and I say it to people all the time, I've been to five Super Bowls myself. Only one of them they allowed me in the locker room. The other four, <laughs> I had to stay with the family in the family section. So I get it, the love and support. And it's, it, was, it was awesome for me to get a chance to right. get one myself because I got tired of going that damn game having to watch dad play all the time. So it was cool to get my opportunity. Yeah, I believe you. And and it's actually, you know, I, I respect it. You know, when you say you're not going to put any other set of brothers over mm-hmm. you and your brother, like I would expect nothing less. 
And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to ask you how just how cool was it to be able to win a Super Bowl on the same team as your twin brother? Man, it was awesome. And I told people, you know, you have those two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. And I told people all the time because what I got, that was my 10th year playing and just backdrop eight years in Tennessee. Throughout those eight years, there was a year where we were two and 14. There was a year we were three and 13. I get released by Tennessee going into my ninth year. I go to the Cleveland Browns in 2017. And I know you're in Cleveland as well. We don't win a single game. So then I'm traded to New <laughs> right. England that very next year. So we end up winning the AFC Championship game. We get to the Super Bowl. Everybody kept saying to me, like, man, you deserve this. You deserve this opportunity. And I didn't think that. I think there's a lot of guys that play that are far better players than me that never got a chance to play at that stage. But what I likened it to was for so long, you can look at a kid growing up for Christmas and say he doesn't have a family, no presents or anything, but there's a family that lives down the street. And every year, Christmas, he goes and he watches all the kids Christmas morning opening up their presents and gets to see them celebrating. And that was me at those Super Bowls, those four years. I'm there. I can remember he wins in Arizona. I'm down on the field. The trophy's being passed around. And it's a crazy feeling because I looked at it as I may never get here and being able to see the closest person or one of the closest people to you in the world, I have to remind myself I'm married now, so I have somebody closer to me than my twin There you brother. go, there you go, there that, you go. You know, <laughs> you know of, of watching him get a chance to experience that and go through it. So it was awesome. So to fast forward that now we're there doing it together. And that entire year, we didn't let any moment go to waste. We savored it, took it all in. And it was so much fun because I get to New England. Dev's in his ninth year there. He done been captain. Felt like all damn nine years. Bill right, Belichick right. loves him. He's the Pat the Patriot himself. But we're brothers. So we'd be in the meeting room arguing with each other, going back and forth. So <laughs> that year was just so much fun. Uh, at the very end, the confetti's falling. And he's just looking at me because he gets drafted to New England. New England, lucky for him, he's there with Brady and Belichick. Right. It's his third time, the confetti falling and getting a chance to hoist the Lombardi. But he's looking at me, and you can think back to your memories and everything, your journey to yep. get there. And yep. that was the most fun I had playing football those three years. We got a chance to play together uh, in New England and challenge each other and push each other. And mom was there, our kids. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was mom was doing angels in the confetti after the game. Oh, so, man, it. it was it was a lifelong memory. Nah, Jason, that's it's incredible to hear you, you know, just recount that whole story because um, it's part it's part of you. You know, it's part of your story. And and, you know, I don't know if you know this, but like you and Devin kind of like look alike. A, a lot so have you guys like when you were there in new england did people like get y'all mixed up were you able to like pull a fast one on coach belichick at any times or was it like they knew they knew it was you man when i first got there i'd walk into a room and dev's the loudest guy in the building like whatever room he walks in you know he's there because <laughs> he doesn't shut up like he's yelling and he makes his presence known so when i first get there you know you've had to join new teams like, right. you don't want to walk in your first day there and you're the loudest guy in the building. Like, nah. get to know people first, get to lay the land. So when I would walk in, everybody would just wait for me to start talking. They're like, right, if I walked in and I was quiet, it's all right, damn, all right. What's up, Jay? Welcome to the team, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> then after a while, you get comfortable. It's just like, well, damn, we can't shut either one of these guys up when they walk in the room. They're both <laughs> the loudest guy in the room. But early on, Bill just called both of us dead. I think for him. Really? Yeah, nine years oh. we've been talking to the same guy, and we started messing with him because he couldn't tell us apart. So we started in training <laughs> camp early on where if he wore red sli- long sleeves, I wore red long sleeves. He oh, wore that's white, good. So we wear the same thing, same cleats. And one day, he, I mean, 
Do you assholes have to wear the same exact clothes every day you come to practice? I mean, I, I know you're twins, but di- can't you wear something different? And he got tired of it, but we did that. So he didn't know who was who the entire time. And then I think after a while, he started to see that they probably should have drafted me a long time ago, that I was yep. just as smart and better than Dev. So then they started to figure <laughs> out who was who and probably was mad at themselves for waiting so long to get me in the building. Yeah, maybe they would have won more Super Bowls, you know? <laughs> it wouldn't have just been six or whatever. You I know? like to so, tell myself that. So I, I tell them all the time, I got Brady and Builder 6'1", so they're, they're very fortunate to have had me. There you go. RG3 and the Ones is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this year, and I'm having a blast. Really, yeah. It's super simple, though, guys. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Boom. There it is. Or whoop. There it is. Is that what it is? All right. If you have the skills and we know I got the skills, do you? Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to turn every game changing moment into 100 times your money. What? With as little as four correct picks, you could turn $10 into 1000. It's really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. There's quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and a huge selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Since football season has come to a close, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and we're going to get into some basketball. All right, let's get into it. This week on prize picks, I'm selecting Paul George to have more. More than 30 and a half points plus rebounds. Why? Well, okay, guys, Kawhi Leonard is going to be out tonight, which will allow for obviously more points for Paul George, but also he's going to have to be more active on the boards. So that is why I'm going with that one. And then I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell at more than six and a half assists. Well, there's, you know, Darius Gardland is a little questionable, which means that Mitchell will be the main ball handler, and that's going to have him have to be more of a facilitator. Now, he is averaging 7.1 assists per game, but without Garland in, in the roster, he might have to score a little bit more, so I think it'll take it down just a little bit, but that more than 6.5 is exactly that honey hole of where he needs to be at. So, those are my picks. Daily Fantasy Sports is made easy with prize picks, so go to prizepicks.com backslash rg3 and use code rg3 for the first deposit match of up to 100 dollars. once again let me repeat that for you just in case you didn't get it go to prizepicks.com slash rg3 and use code rg3 for a first deposit match of up to 100 dollars. come on now let's get this money people when you look at the super bowl all right you talked about playing in it getting a chance to win it with your with your brother only sets of brothers to do that um, this was a special game. You know, the, the Chiefs have a dynasty now, mm-hmm. won three Super Bowls in the last five seasons. Uh, when you were approaching this game and, and breaking it down, like, one, who were you rooting for? And two, uh, what did you think about the outcome of the game? Man, game was awesome. And that's a fun thing, you know, now, like, I picked against the Chiefs in the divisional and the conference championship. I picked the Lions to go to the Super Bowl. So I'm watching the game. I'm like, Hell, as an analyst, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about because I don't been wrong <laughs> about both these teams. So it was it was really cool. I got a chance with CBS to be a part of the pregame show. Right. So I was down on the field and seeing all of that. It was cool as hell that when I was finished, 
I went up in the stands and I watched the game just as a fan with my wife mixed yeah. amongst many 49ers fans. So I got to see it from that perspective, which was so much fun. And breaking this game down, I went into the game and I picked the Chiefs to win solely based on I felt like under Spagnola they had the best defense in the Super Bowl, and I felt like they had the best quarterback in the Super Bowl. So I felt like when it came down mm-hmm. to it, these games a lot of times are one in a two-minute situation, whether yep. you're on defense or you have the ball. I felt like their defense would be able to get the stop or Patrick Mahomes with the ball in his hand, he'd be able to go win that game. Right, and right. What a treat for every fan to be in the stadium or at home watching and you get overtime. And exactly. a game that was kind of, I won't say dormant, but not a ton of scoring throughout the majority of the game. Next thing you know, the fourth quarter overtime, this thing lights yeah. up. And the fact that first overtime game since the rules changed comes in the Super Bowl and I'm standing in the stands and time's running out at the end. And I'm like, call timeout, call timeout. And I don't even understand the rules. And let alone for, I know Romo was trying to break it down with the first quarter, the second quarter. And it was new for everybody trying to exactly figure out what was going on. And when McCall Harmon catches that touchdown pass, the 49ers fans, excuse me, excuse me, everybody's just filing out, trying to get to their cars. But it was such an amazing game. And Purdy played well. Mahomes played well. So as a football fan, it fulfilled everything I wanted going into that Super Bowl. Yeah, you just mentioned, you know, something. And I'll, and I'll, you know, go back to some of the other points about the game. But I think when it was all said and done, the one thing that really popped out to everybody was the fact that the 49ers players, some of their best players, their stars, were openly admitting that they didn't know the new overtime rules. And the first time that they saw them, when they were put up on the Jumbotron, uh, just what's your reaction to to that? Is that like coaching malpractice from Kyle Shanahan? Is it not that big of a deal because you can learn it on the fly? Just what's your take on that? Yeah, I can't wait to hear the mic'd up with them sitting on the bench and the rules come up <laughs> on the Jumbotron. And they're like, oh, did you? Run? But I looked at it like I'm not going to pretend to be a head coach and say it. Andy Reid on the other side, right. they went through the overtime rules every week of the playoffs. Marquez Valdez-Scantley says since August in training camp, they had been doing presentations where I think the guy's name is Mike Frazier, is their analytics guy, would get in front of the team and break down the rule changes and how it goes. They did it twice leading up to the Super Bowl because they had two weeks. So you have one team that did that, the other team – Right as overtime is starting, the position coaches are explaining what was going on in the overtime. And, you know, on Saturdays, a lot of times in game weeks, you have situations or you have presentations where I can remember being in Miami. and We had a guy, Harry Free. He was the guy, our analytics guy. I remember him breaking down where they started doing. We're talking about two minutes. They started talking about three minutes of double dipping where you get in a three minute and you go fast and try to score to get the ball back another time before halftime. So that's what those guys are paid to do. So I would think, especially I've been a part of it, that Super Bowl week. Two weeks is a long time to prepare, ample time to do those things. Do I think that dictated the outcome of the game? No, I think those decisions would have been made from a coaching standpoint to take the ball and go through those things. But I just know you want your smartest players that can handle those things to have that knowledge because they're controlling a lot that what goes on on the field. Yeah, I, I obviously no one, no one knew about it until after the game and the players were admitting it. I've seen some people say that the players should, shouldn't have said it at all, right? Like whether they knew it or not, they should have just been like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. I agree. Instead of, instead of like coming out and be like, yeah, you know what? 
our coach didn't prepare us for overtime. He didn't tell us what the rules were, and we didn't go through any of it. And I'm yep. like, oh, like, I know they're all in shock in that moment, right? You're in the biggest game of your life. You've played in the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. I never got a chance to play in the Super Bowl, so I can't sit here and say by experience I know what mm-hmm. they're going through. But I do know that any person that's had, like, the biggest moment in their life, I'm like, yeah, there's a little nerves, you know, and there's, a, there's like an after effect. Yep. After you get out of that moment. And I think they were just stuck in that after effect. You know what I'm saying? No but doubt. But it did make it did make the coaching staff look bad. And it made Kyle Shanahan look bad in that moment. And I know people will talk about like, hey, he's been part of some of the biggest, uh, you know, comebacks on the wrong side. Yeah. In NFL history with the 25 pointer with the Patriots and then obviously two 10 pointers against the Chiefs. But like it does take a great coach and a great team to even get that opportunity. I just hate that the conversation after it is, oh, Andy Reid had his team prepared. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Shanahan didn't. It's just a, it's a bad look from that standpoint. And I know from now on, they're, they're going to know like, hey, whether coach told us that something or not, we probably shouldn't go to the postgame press conference and say that we didn't know what the rules were. But just something just happened. Uh, Kyle Shanahan fired Steve Wilkes, his defensive coordinator. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Very hard for Steve Wilkes. You think about it. The 49ers have been one of the best defenses in the last several years. Robert Sala was running that defense. He jets, he goes to the New York Jets to become their head coach. D'Amico Ryan was underneath Robert Sala as there. He takes over, was part of the installations. He understood the culture and everything that was being asked of those defensive players. Steve Wilkes is a guy from the outside. He comes in. And they said throughout the season, he was just trying to do their thing. And then Shanahan kind of took the reins off and was just like, yo, like, insert yourself. Right. That was something that was going to be very hard to make work of running someone else's defense, in a sense, and trying to put your own spin on it. The same thing we saw from Matt Patricia this season, where he took over for Sean Desai with the Philadelphia Eagles. I knew from Jump Street, Matty P had no chance to succeed because it wasn't his defense. And I think Steve Wilkes, they were trying to do that. I think the interesting thing now is when D'Amico Ryan's left, there wasn't a guy that they put in place to take over. So, like, now that Steve Wilkes is gone, a lot of this 49ers team is back. Clint Kubiak yeah. just left to become the yeah. offensive coordinator with the Saints. Now you're losing your defensive coordinator as well that you hire. Who's the next guy to step up? Because he didn't feel the need to promote somebody a year ago. Is there somebody that steps up <laughs> right. to take over that role? And 49ers defense was unbelievable at the beginning of that game. They yeah, were they flying were. around. They really you were. mentioned it already. Dre Greenlaw goes down, which obviously has a huge impact on that game. They don't get a stop in the final moments. I guess you play some blame on him. They didn't, they didn't kick <laughs> off to start the game in overtime. You play So there's a lot that goes into that. It's tough. You fired defensive coordinator and you guys were in the Super Bowl. Like, it's tough. Yeah, um, man. It is tough. I, that that was my thought about it. It's like Steve Wilkes was much maligned this year because that Niners defense at times was a little soft yes. and lacked. And I don't, I don't think anybody individually was soft. I think that they gave up more rushing yards than they anticipated. Uh, they'd had a lack of effort at times uh, that was detailed on the, on the, True. On the tape. True. But he kind of fell into that trap of, of fo- following a, a great defensive coordinator in D'Amico Ryans and what D'Amico was able to do with Houston this year. So the expectation was much higher. I still believe Steve Wilkes is a, is a great defensive coordinator. I think he was just a, he was, he ended up being a martyr in that moment. 
But when you give up 25 points in an overtime game in the Super Bowl to Patrick Mahomes, that to me doesn't feel like that guy should get fired. But at the end of the day, that's what they did. I want to ask you something, too, because watching okay, that Super Bowl, yeah, yeah. I'm not a quarterback. I don't know what it was okay. like to sit in those meetings. So much conversations had about Brock Purdy. And from a defensive oh. perspective, I thought he played really well. Some of those passes yes. and tight windows and what he was able to do. I know watching you throughout your career, dynamic player, could make anything happen at any moment. When you hear, and I know you've probably talked about it, the game manager versus the game changer, is there a difference of a guy that just runs the system as is versus a guy that can say, all right, this is a system, but that's the system and this is me. How I mesh them together is what makes me such a difference maker out there on the football field. Yeah, so whew, that is a whoopsie-doo of a question, <laughs> my man. And uh, that's why you're one of the best in the industry at what you do because the, the bottom line for me is Brock Purdy, when you come away from that game, there's no way you come away from that game and you say, oh, yeah, he's just a game manager, mm-hmm. right? Mahomes goes down the field at the end of regulation, kicks a field goal to tie to send it into overtime, I believe. Well, when Birdie gets it back, he takes him down. They kick a field goal to go in the lead, and then obviously Mahomes and them score a touchdown, game's over. But there wasn't any moment in the game where you said to yourself, oh, this guy can't, he can't compete at this level. There wasn't any moment in the season uh, in totality where you said, oh, Brock Purdy just can't get it done. Did he have a bad game against the Ravens? Yeah, he had a bad game against the Ravens. Mm -hmm. Did he have a couple other games where he was a little off in the middle of the year? Yeah, when they lost those three games in a row. But when when I look at the way people break down Brock Purdy, I don't think it really has anything to do with Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. I think it has more so to do with how they feel about themselves and how they wish they had that opportunity that he mm-hmm. has been blessed with, with the weapons around him. But when we, when we look at it from a, a, a big picture standpoint, most quarterbacks have guys and they're surrounded with extreme talent when they win. It just so happens that because Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant and was the last pick in the draft, people are, are very slow to accept the fact mm-hmm. that he was the best quarterback in the NFL this year. And, and, and that's just by the numbers. I mean, you're talking about first in QBR, first in passer rating, first in touchdown percentage, first in EPA per play. You know, the list goes on and on of what Brock Purdy was able to accomplish. And it wasn't just the scheme. I've heard people yep. say, oh, he's always, he's always throwing to wide open people. Well, I think he was first in the NFL in tight window throws. <laughs> so if he's always throwing to wide open people, why is he first in the NFL in tight window throws? So true. And, and, the, and that completion percentage. So when I, when I come back to it uh, at the end of the day, I look at Brock Purdy and I say, the truth is Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the galaxy. Head over heels. He's way more talented. Um, he's, in my opinion, the second greatest quarterback in NFL history. Uh, behind Tom Brady, and I don't Mm -hmm. think it's a discussion about that anymore. But for Brock Purdy, he's he's now put himself in a category of a guy that is so much better for the 49ers Mm -hmm. and so much better than Jimmy Garoppolo was. Because going to the Super Bowl, I don't know if you knew this, but Garoppolo threw for 208 yards in their two playoff games uh, heading to the Super Bowl. Right. He had, I think, one touchdown and a pick and Brock Purdy threw for 519 yards, two touchdowns and a pick and had 65 yards rushing. So it's like there's a different level to this. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan 
of what Brock Purdy has done. I played in that system. I know what it takes to play in that system. And I believe that what makes Brock a game, uh, I just say he's a creator. Because mm-hmm. this whole game manager, game changer thing isn't new, right? I, uh, my guy, our guy Cam, I got a lot of respect for Cam and, no and his career. He's not the first person that's ever said that. Like they, they've been talking about this for generations, right. Yeah. right? It's been forever. It just, he brought it back up and now everyone's talking about it again. So I do think that Brock Purdy is a game changer. I do think that Brock Purdy is a creator because when I actually watch the tape and study him, mm. I see how he's not just doing it with, uh, hey, they schemed it open, throw it to the guy. He's manipulating the defense with his eyes. He's making plays with his feet inside and outside of the pocket. And to me, when I watch the tape and I see the plays that he's making, he's a perfect match for Kyle Shanahan. And I've said it before, like when I was there in Washington with Kyle, uh, there were some plays that were made that weren't in accordance with the playbook. Mm-hmm. But if I would have been able to stay healthy, I think that I would have evolved into a player that could make the off schedule play, mm-hmm. but also make the plays from within the pocket. And yeah, Brock Purdy probably isn't as dynamic. And I mean, probably with all due respect yeah, outside the pocket as I was, but he is so dynamic within the scheme and he gives Kyle Shanahan the ability to kind of call a play and not be afraid <clears throat> of what's going to happen. Mm, well right? said. Right? He calls a play. If it's there, he's going to hit it. If it's not there, he's going to create something and make a play for us and not put us in harm's way. No turnovers. And Kyle said it himself. Uh, let me see. His, his quote was, I thought Brock was unbelievable. Mm. It was one of the most impressive seasons I've been around for a football player and a quarterback. He was just a stud through it all. Like, I think that that says it all. Brock Purdy is for sure. Um, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I stand 10 toes down on that. And anyone who's, you know, kind of attaching things to his name that really shouldn't be attached to his name, I think they're just doing that for clicks. And I don't like that, you know? Like negativity for clicks. What are you doing that for? A check? Like, I, I just don't like when, when guys do that. But um, that's, my, that's my opinion on Brock Purdy. What, what, what do you think? I love watching him. I respect it. And, as a defender, you're afraid of guys that can get it done. And I think yeah. that's the main thing. We watched them come out of a sack uh, in the conference championship game, hit you check on the sideline. Yep. That's creating a play, to your point, when there's nothing there. Correct. And I heard Dave Canales when he took the job with the Panthers, and he said of Bryce Young, like, I just need him to be really good and consistent throughout the whole game, and I only need him to be special on three to six plays. And I thought that was a great way to break down not only the quarterback position, but every job. And the quarterback probably has to be special a few more times than any other position. Because for me at the cornerback spot, if I'm consistent every single play, I may only need to be special on two plays where they try me deep and I have to go up there and make a play. But just make my tackles. A guy's going to catch some passes on me, get them down where he catches it, and I can walk away with a good game. I thought that was that was instrumental for the quarterback position where we're thinking Mahomes throughout that game – he wasn't special the entire game. Like they no, were just putting points up, <laughs> driving up and down the field. It was a lot of three and outs early, but it was like in those cr- crucial moments, a fourth yes. and one, a third down. He has one of those scrambles where you're yeah. like, he was special on those three to five plays throughout the game, which elevated them to win the game. To me, Brock Purdy, seventh round draft pick, Super Bowl, his second year, NFC Championship game, his first year, like, you know, you got to celebrate what this dude has been able to achieve. Like, that's the nature of this game. When Russell Wilson got drafted in Seattle, they were able to build a great team around him until they had to pay him. Like, that's exactly. the nature 
of that even Super Bowl we watched. Yeah. The Chiefs paid their quarterback, still able to get to that game. But Correct. 49ers, the fact that they didn't pay their quarterback yet, they have so much salary cap to go to other players like yes. Purdy's window to do what he's doing, and he's succeeding at it. You're hitting all the points, and I know there's a contingent of people out there who believe the, the best way to build a roster is to build it around a rookie quarterback, right? A quarterback on his first, I don't mean a rookie, a quarterback on his first contract so that you can get all these weapons and you can get the Avengers of Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and Juszczyk and Trent Williams and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, which, you know, just a completely unfortunate injury there for Greenlaw running on the field. I was heartbroken about that. But people, they think that that's the way to get it done. So they're crushed right now because Patrick Mahomes is one of the highest paid in the league and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's no real method around building something to win a championship. You can do it with a quarterback who's a dynamic, the best in the world like Mahomes. You can do it with a great quarterback uh, like Stafford, right? There's no true method to that. But, Jason, I want to run this by you. I do think there's a method to building a dynasty. Mm. And and I and I've tweeted this out uh, either yesterday or the day before. And when you look at the Chiefs and you look at the great dynasties, I'm talking the Steelers, the Patriots, uh, who else we got? Oh, the Niners uh, back in the day. They all are built around. They have a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but it was built around the defense. So I, I did some research and I found out that only one of those dynasties ever won a Super Bowl without having a top 10 defense. Mm. And it was the Chiefs. This year, they were the number two defense. In 2019, they were number seven. It was the, the last year when they won it that they were the 16th ranked defense. So all these dynasties, they've had Joe Montana, you know, Patrick Mahomes. You're talking about Terry Bradshaw, um, Tom Brady, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So we have these coaches and these quarterbacks, and, and we get so enamored with it being about the coach and the quarterback. And, and oh, my gosh, you got to find the quarterback. And, and you do. You do have to find the quarterback. But if you want to build a dynasty, you got to invest in the defense. And, and I got the numbers here. When you look at the Steelers, number two defense in 74, mm -hmm. number two defense in 75, Number one defense in 78, number five defense in 79. I mean, you're talking about the Patriots, number six defense in 2001, number one in 2003, number two in 2004. You get the point. Mm -hmm. Like these defenses were what maintained the quarterbacks and allowed them to grow into who they eventually became, especially in Tom Brady's case. Now, Mahomes, whole oh, nother monster. He's a beast. But what do you think about that dynamic of, a dynasty needing to be built around the defense all, along with the offense, but just investing in the defense more, because I feel like that's lost a lot of times to the public. Yeah, I definitely think that is the case. And specifically looking even at my years in New England, I had three and I came in at, at the end of the second dynasty and was able to be a part of the last one. Right. And I remember having conversations with Tom him talking about it. Like, look, Tom leaves to go to Tampa Bay. And I saw today he was saying, like, that relationship with him and Bill, as great as it was, like, he wasn't coming back to play for New England. And you look at our <laughs> right, team right, right. in 2019 or even 2018, for that matter, of winning the Super Bowl. But coming back that very next year, we start off that Super Bowl, that 2019 season. Josh Gordon's a receiver. Demarius oh, yeah. Thomas, rest his, rest his soul. He was yep. one of our wide receivers. We end up getting Antonio Brown. 
and we had Julian Edelman. By the <laughs> end true, of that true. season, his receivers were, we had traded for Muhammad Sanu, who ended up hurting his ankle, who was hobbled, drafting Nikhil Harry in the first round, yep. had Jacoby Myers, who was an undrafted free agent, and Gunnar Olszewski, who was an undrafted free agent out of Bemidji State in yep. Minnesota. So for Tom, I can remember him walking over on the defensive sideline. There was one point we were in practice, and the defense was up. So it was a defensive period, scout team offense. Tom walks over to the sideline. I'm on the knee. My brother, Devin McCourty's on the knee. And right. Jonathan Jones are on the knee. We're not in that period at the time. Tom goes, damn, must be nice. Three of your best players on defense standing on the sideline. And you can have the rest of your defense in there still as a really talented defense. And I right. think what the Patriots looked at it as, because they had somebody like Brady, they could gotcha. invest in their defense because right. he was able to still get them over the hump offensively. We won the Super Bowl the year before. And yes, we had Gronk in 2018 yep. who was injured. And then when he came back, he came back strong for the playoffs. Similar to what we kind of watched Kelsey just do over these last three games. Edelman was banged up that year, but played through and was exceptional in that Super Bowl. A lot of other people probably couldn't even name the other receivers that were on that team. And Phil Dorsett and Chris Hogan and different guys that stepped up within their role but I think that was their ability to be able to say, you know what, we can give a little bit to be able to make up for it on defense. It's no secret the Chiefs were a top defense this year. And on offense, no more Tyreek Hill, you're unable to build around him. So I think that's the one thing that quarterback position allows that. But it also puts a sense of belief within that defense. And when I got to New England, it was just like, yo, we got a shot as long as we got Tom. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things of the what you just described is exactly what the Chiefs did, really the last two years. Yeah. after the Tyreek Hill trade, you know, Juju was on the team uh, last year, and they were able to win win the Super Bowl with a better receiving core. I felt like this mm-hmm. year, with everything that happened with Kadarius Tony, he was supposed to be the number one wideout, and, and MVS struggled during the year. Came on strong in the playoffs, though, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. but they. They didn't like Mahomes didn't have to be Superman this year. It's like we're it's funny because we're talking about game changers, game managers, and Mahomes managed his way to a Super Bowl. Like he he managed the game. He took care of the football. I know he had the interception in the Super Bowl was just a a, a bad overthrow. He was moving forward and kind of put too much on it, trying mm-hmm. to throw it to Kelsey. But it wasn't like Mahomes was out there and had to go throw for five hundred yards and five touchdowns. Like they needed to, he needed to manage the game, protect the football. He was still Mahomes. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah. 300 over yards, all yeah. that. And he ran effectively, which his trainer, uh, Bobby Stroop had told me from the beginning of the year, we're going to win the Super Bowl and it's going to be because of Patrick Mahomes' legs. And, mm-hmm. it, and it was. So I look at that and I'm like, they're at the point now where Mahomes has three Super Bowls, but they can invest in the defense like they did after the Tyreek Hill trade and still win games. So to have the second ranked defense in the NFL when it comes to points per game scored was, was just phenomenal to me. Um, And I think, I think it's right on par with exactly uh, what you're saying. Speaking of, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, Steve Spagnuolo. Um, I played against him um, when I was in Washington. He was with the giants, I believe, you know, he's got four Super Bowls as an assistant. Uh, I call him a Rolodex play caller on defense. Mm-hmm. Like it almost feels like it's it's random, but it's not, right? He's a a mad scientist in that regard, but he keeps the quarterback off balance because you yes. just don't know what he's going to call next, what blitz he's bringing, what coverage they're going to play on the back end. He does a lot of disguising and and he can slow you down as a quarterback as long as he has a great rush. 
and the Chiefs have a great rush. Why, why do you think he is not getting another head coaching opportunity? Because he just signed an extension with the Chiefs, which I'm happy for them. And if they're trying to build a, even further their dynasty in three-peat, you need that guy. But why do you think he's not getting another head coaching opportunity? I think you look around the league and you look at his last coaching cycle. I think there's something to the young, exuberant, whether it's offensive mind or just okay. that type of energy of a coach where we watch yep. Pete Carroll say that he still wanted to coach where nobody picked him up after leaving Seattle. Yep. Bill Belichick goes on the interview to Atlanta. They don't end up hiring him, whatever transpired, whether it was Bill, whether it was Atlanta. Right. We don't know the details of that, but he doesn't end up with a job. And I think probably unfairly so a guy like Steve Spagnola doesn't even get the interviews and gotcha. I think there's also a fact that he was a head coach before with the Rams and it didn't work well. And the Rams came out, I think it was Les Snead came out and said like he should be getting interviews. The team and the organization that he inherited when he was a head coach was something that was in total disarray. And he did a really good job of flipping the culture, although the wins didn't come and the production didn't come. He was a changer in that realm. So I think some of those things are held against him. I've heard that he wants to be a head coach. So I think some people have said that, like, well, he probably doesn't want it. I've heard that he would love another opportunity to be the guy in charge. It's very interesting to see why some guys get those calls. Why some a guy like right. the enemy has been on a ton of, of, oh. of interviews and still hasn't been hired. So it's very hard to see why one is one way and another way. Um, what he's been able to do, from my perspective, you look at the Raiders and the Chargers both just hired yep. new coaches within the division Correct. Denver a year ago. We're all aiming to beat the Chiefs. <laughs> Think about what, what transpired for the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. They play against the Patriots in 2018 twice in that season. Play yes. against them in the regular season, lose that game 43-40. to 40. Yep. Play against them later in the AFC Championship game, and it goes into overtime, wire to wire. Patriots yep. put up 30 points in that game. Yep. Bob Sutton was a defensive coordinator at that point. That very next year, they go out and get Steve Spagnuolo to become their, off, their defensive coordinator. Yep. They won a Super Bowl in 2019, and now they've right. won three of them. <laughs> and he was the same guy that defeated Brady when he was yep. with the Giants. So it's like mm. no secret. Now, if I'm in that division, it's just like, I may just want to pull him away from the Chiefs just to get him out of that building Thank and see you. if we can beat him if he's in our building because of what he's learned over the course of those years. You see, Jason, I, the point you just made, I don't think anyone else has has like connected these dots. Because uh, we always talk about the Patriot way and whether the Patriot way works and, hey, yeah. all these coaches have left and they haven't really done anything. I, I do feel like a, a part of me feels that teams were hiring coaches from the Patriots just to try to hurt the Patriots. You know, like. And it, it did. It, it, and it did. If you take away Josh McDaniel as an offensive coordinator, maybe it can hurt the Patriots in a way that it gives them a chance. Like. I don't know if teams are like hiring coaches to help other teams, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You want to take away their secret sauce. So it gives your, ch your team a chance. Maybe McDaniels makes your team a winner. Maybe Matt Patricia makes your team a winner, but it for sure hampers the Patriots in that, in that type of way. So I agree. I, you would think that somebody would come snag uh, Steve Spagnolo just to, just to, uh, yeah, just to say, all right, what's his secret sauce? How can we beat him? But to your point about the coaches, uh, I don't know Belichick and, and uh, Pete Carroll's exact age. I think Belichick's 71. Um, but I do have the coaches' uh, ages here that got hired. 
You got Dan Quinn, 53, Raheem Morris, 47, Antonio Pierce, 45, Dave Canales, 42, Brian Callahan, 39, Mayo's 37, and, Mc- and McDonald's 36. All those guys are, are roughly 20 or 20 plus years younger than the two 70 year old head coaches who have won Super Bowl or Super Bowls for, for Belichick. Mm-hmm. And those guys didn't get opportunity. So it's clear that like there's this youth movement of, of the executives in the NFL trying to get guys that are younger, more innovative. And I, and I do think like the time of like tyrants in the NFL and I don't yeah. mean tyrants in the, in a, the, yeah, but it's, they want collaboration. Way, it's they want more collaboration. Hey, scouting department, do your job. Mm-hmm. Head coach, lead men, GM, mm-hmm. find the guys and pick the guys. And I think that's more so where everything is going because there, there really is no one person that can do everybody's job at the highest level. And I think that's probably why Belichick probably w- was, was left out of this, this hiring cycle. But when it comes to the Patriot way, you played there. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it worked? And why do you think or do you think it doesn't work in today's game? I'll say part of the reason I think it worked is a guy like Tom Brady believed in it. Okay. And I can remember showing up there. When your best player is one of your hardest workers and doesn't complain, that right. sets the tempo for the rest of the team. Makes now, yeah. everybody talks about the Patriot way in different forms of fashion. I remember talking to Ocho Cinco in Atlanta at the Super Bowl, and he was like, bro, how you like it? I was like, yo, I'm loving it. I'm in my 10th year. Like The way they do things, it is strictly business. And I'm like, I love showing up to work. Forget about, don't ask me how my family is and all of those things. <laughs> how do we win the game on Sunday? Right. I don't care about your family. You don't care about my family. I got some <laughs> teammates. I got friends that when stuff goes wrong, if me and my wife are feuding, I can call my boy and we can discuss it. I can call my mom and ask for uh-huh. advice on what to do. I was in my 10th year and had done all the rest of it and didn't win anything. So I was like, that doesn't work. For Ocho, he was like, bro, I couldn't do it. Like, it was too militant. But from where he would have came from, it might have been more of a, like, do your thing. You're one of our best players. Show gotcha. up and ball out. Yeah. Where there is more uniform of, like, from our best player to our worst player, like, we're going to do things a certain way. Now, what I used to say to people, I was in Cleveland a year before with Hugh Jackson as our head coach. If the meeting started at 8, you were late at 757. Like, 100%. You had to be early to every single meeting. We had to right. wear brown Cleveland brown shorts to every meeting, the yep. same gray t-shirt. Everybody yep. had to wear the same thing. I get there, I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Like, <laughs> my brown shorts in a meeting at 8 a.m. aren't, it's not winning us a game on Sunday. No. I get to New England the very next year. This is in, this is where OTA started in April. And meeting starts at 8. We're all sitting in the locker room. 7.58 rolls up. I look at my phone. I go to my brother. I'm like, yo, like, and the meeting started at 8, right? He's all, bro, chill out. Like, you're not late until it's 8.01. So okay, like Bill okay, would be right. standing in the front of the room and a guy could walk in at eight o'clock and he'll be like, hey, good morning. Come on in. Like not tripping. Right. And you wore whatever you wanted in meetings, hood right. on, any of those things. But when we get out there on the field, I'm going to expect you to know your stuff and right. we're going to practice hard. So right. that was my vision of the Patriot way. And okay. I was OK with that. I'm like, this yeah. is all about X's and O's. And I think but it was more built on a structure of like. For me, growing up in a household where like your parents could be hard hard on you and you rally around with your siblings and it helps you guys yep. come together and build that chemistry with each other. I felt like that was their way of doing things where Bill was going to be hard on everybody as a coach, but it forced the guys where we were complaining, we were complaining amongst each other and it right. built that chemistry within the team. 
Yes. I do think I do think it would yes. still work um, in today's NFL. I think you need to have a roster. I think you look at Bill. I don't remember what the exact numbers were. Somebody was saying since like 2017, they hadn't re-signed anybody from like their first three rounds in the draft. Yeah, I mean, you look they at what was going better. on there. Yeah. They weren't getting the talent that they needed there. In yeah. 21, they went and spent all that money in free agency with John Smith, Nelson Aguilar. Yep. Like, then they didn't keep all of those guys to finish out their contract. So <laughs> right. I think that was more of the issue. They weren't getting the guys they needed I to win you. beyond just the coaching style, you know? That makes sense. And, and Bill wasn't a guy that would, would spend a ton of money, right? Like, his, his MO was... We're we're gonna you know we're gonna go get guys, but we're gonna yep. draft well. We're not gonna overpay free agents. And come and here was, to win. We have Brady. And then, and, like you come here, you got a chance to win. Exactly. And then without Brady, then they brought in the the, the whole class of like Hunter Henry and Judon mm-hmm. and all those guys, and they were paying a bunch of money. So it seemed like he was trying to adapt a little bit, but it might have been either a little too late, or they just didn't hit on the guys that they brought in in as yep. big a fashion as they thought that they could. But when you talk like the whole Hugh Jackson thing, I, I played for Hugh in Cleveland and you're 100 percent right. There was like if you're not there three minutes before it, you're late. And it was like that was too far. Uh, Bill was good. Like you said, I didn't play for him, but I'm taking your word for it. Eight o'clock. Be there. At eight o'clock. You're good. Eight oh one. You're late. late. But you're not going to be late at seven fifty nine. So no. I, I get exactly where you're coming from there. And, to, and speaking like back on the Super Bowl, what was your thoughts on the performance of, of Trent McDuffie and LeJarius Sneed? Because I thought McDuffie could have easily have been the MVP of the Super Bowl with what he did on the defensive side. And I want to show those DBs some love. McDuffie had the holding penalty at the end of the game. Other than that, it was a flawless game. Yeah. You've seen clips of him online taking on Trent Williams in the run game. Yep. He, had blitz, he blitzed one time and made one of the biggest pass breakups in the game to get the ball back. And on that play, like people are shouting out Trent McDuffie, but right. on that play, LeJarrius Sneed's on the outside. He's covering the receiver. If McDuffie doesn't deflect the ball, it's not going to be a completion because right. LeJarrius Sneed had the receiver locked up on that play, on a slant play as yep. well. But I thought McDuffie was unbelievable. The pass breakup on the deep pass to Debo Samuel, another one coming across the middle on the end cut, his work in the slot. And he was going to be a big-time player in this game because of – the 49ers' ability to run the ball when they go nickel, he's in that. I think those two guys, when you talk about Spagnola being able a Rolodex defense and blitzing everybody, when you have guys on the outside that can absolutely cover, it changes the game. And I know Snead gave up the touchdown pass to Jennings uh, in that game, which was a good play by Jawan Jennings. But Jerry Snead gave up two touchdowns on the entire season. It was that play, and it was the pass against Buffalo where J- uh, Josh Allen's rolling out to his left and hit Shakir in the corner of the end zone, which was an um, unbelievable play. Only two touchdowns he gave up all season long. Those two dudes were lights out. One of my favorite duos to watch this past year. Nah, it's unbelievable. I appreciate you showing them the love that that I feel like they certainly deserve. They were Both of them were in their bag uh, really all year, but they really showed up big uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, I don't believe that Mahomes is, is past Brady yet. I've said that a number of times, but I do think that he's past Montana and the rest mm-hmm. of the guys. Only six years as a starter, and he's got three Super Bowls. Like, the guy's unbelievable. What do you think he needs to do to, to surpass Brady? Or do you think he already has? So, interesting. He hasn't already done so. Brady has seven Super Bowls. So, we're putting a mark <laughs> for Mahomes that he has to at least get seven. The fact that Brady beat him in a Super Bowl, right. you have to hold that against him as well. But yes, I understand that. If they go 3 P and they're the only team, and he's the only quarterback to win three in a row, I think that changes the conversation. 
Like, I think if he wins three in a row and he maybe doesn't get to seven, say he gets to six, five, okay. but three of them happen in a row, I think you can still have that conversation of if he's the greatest of all time. I do okay. think that. But okay. I think it would probably have to be six Super Bowls with three of them in a row. The only thing is Brady beat him. Like that, like I know, that, that I, know I know, I know, I know. the toughest thing. I'm saying all of that, but if he doesn't get eight, and one of Brady's seven, he beat him. Right. It makes it tough. And even in the yeah. game, he beat him, though. Mahomes was unbelievable. I remember him yeah. parallel to the ground, running for his life. Yep. Brady beating him is tough. He beat yeah. him in an AFC Championship game in 18, beat him in a Super Bowl in 20. Like, that. That that's tough. But Mahomes, I mean, his story isn't done yet. Like, no, it's not. It's not done at all. Three in a would be crazy. No, I agree with you. Uh, it, Mahomes said it, too. He said, like, the fact that Brady beat me in a Super Bowl makes it difficult for him. So I know, like, I, I do believe that there are pundits out there that are that are our colleagues or or whatever yeah. it may be, um, or contemporaries, however you look at that, that are gonna say Mahomes is the greatest ever now. Why? Because it's 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 the popular thing to say. Where you be a prisoner of the moment, whatever you want to yeah. say, they wanna be they wanna be first. I, I don't think that I, I think you have to look at this and say, Brady has seven. Mahomes has three. I agree with you though. If he three peats, if he three peats, I don't think he needs to win eight. Mm-hmm. If he three peats, I agree. I honestly think he only needs to win five at that point. Five. Because you look at the same difference between like Michael Jordan and Bill Russell, mm-hmm. right? Russell's won way more rings, but Jordan's considered the greatest of all time. Good point. And, and I think that that is the, the dynamic going on there, but it's not there yet. And I, and I actually respect Mahomes a lot, um, not just because of his career, but the way he's approached it. You mm-hmm. know, he's basically saying, guys, like, I'm not the greatest of all time. I've only played six years. Yeah, we have three ring, three rings, but I got to win more to be even in the and have the longevity of Brady. No, nah, yeah. he doesn't have to play 20 years. Yeah. But if he plays 15 and he wins eight rings, I mean, that'd be unbelievable, first of all. But I think he can do it. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you this one because we had Marlon Humphrey on the on the show, and he basically had said on Twitter and on the show that Belichick's not the greatest coach of all time and that he believes it was more Tom Brady than it was Belichick. And then Deion Sanders responded and said he thinks that our younger guys need to learn the definition of respect. Uh, just what's your whole take on the, the Brady-Belichick and then Marlon coming out and saying that? And then who is the greatest coach of all time, in your opinion? You're, you, you are a quarterback. Yep. And Kyle Brandt says it on our show all the time. He feels like Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback he's ever seen play yep. the game. His yep. ability to scramble, his ability to throw the ball. Peyton Manning, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play. Drew Brees, one of the best quarterbacks. And these are just the guys of our generation. You can go all the way back and look at different guys throughout different generations that were unbelievable playing from the Montanas to everybody in between. Okay. Nobody has ever won six Super Bowls as a quarterback. So to me, to say that it was all Tom Brady and not Bill Belichick, Right. Then it's like if Aaron Rodgers is possibly the most talented quarterback that's ever played the game, if Peyton Manning is similar in talent wise to Tom Brady, why wasn't a coach able to harness that and the same effect that Bill Belichick was to tune out six Super Bowls? It's never happened before. And I think the combination of those two of being in the same building enabled that to happen. And that goes to the Patriot way of Bill holding everybody accountable. Being in that locker room and seeing Brady have no special treatment other than he had a different chair in the locker room than the 
60 other guys on the team was incredible to me. Sitting in that meeting room and hearing uh, Bill Belichick say to Brady, a film on the Ravens that was from like six years ago of like, <laughs> I mean, what the hell are we doing here, Tom? We're throwing the ball into an effing team meeting. Him <laughs> coaching Tom the same way he coached a special teams player, okay. got the most out of Brady and the most out of the team. So okay. I don't think it was, you can say it was just a Brady thing because right. we're watching quarterbacks. Uh, Lamar Jackson is the, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever watched play the game. Yeah, We're not just watching guys that are immensely talented just go win Super Bowl after Super Bowl. It takes more than just a quarterback to go right. out and win six Super Bowls. That's why no one else has done it. The greatest yeah. coaches quarterback, it, it takes that combination. No, I agree. I agree with that whole wholeheartedly. I don't think it's just one one guy or the other. I think collectively they they were dynamic and they needed each other. And I yeah. think they know that. So to close this bad boy out, I want to ask you, who are the top five quarterbacks to look <laughs> out for next season? And I'll start. I'll give you mine. You know, I believe C.J. Stroud had the greatest rookie year of all time in NFL history this past year. I think he's going to go out and build upon that. Uh, so that would be one. I think Bryce Young's gonna gonna show people why he was the first pick in the draft, and and why he is that guy. And and Dave Canales has had a great run with Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield, helping them uh, resurrect their careers and have their best years of their career. Um, I think that's gonna happen for Bryce um, as well. I think Lamar Jackson is gonna come back with a vengeance. Uh, I think the Ravens are gonna make some some more bold moves this offseason. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be something where second year of the offense with Todd Munkin, they'll really start to gel really, really well on the offensive side of the ball. Because I don't really feel like they ever gelled that well this year, and they still led the league in rushing. So to me, that's a dangerous proponent. Number four, I'd say Tua Tunga Vailoa Mm -hmm. uh, in Miami. I think the fact that everyone's tweeting about Tyreek and and that the Chiefs have won two Super Bowls since they traded him and He's down in Miami, you know, just setting records, but yeah. not winning Super Bowl. I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna make them be energized uh, this year. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for Tua to to come out uh, and have a really really big season. And then my fifth one would probably have to be just backtracking to Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna show once again that he is a top level quarterback. He's a top ten quarterback in this league. Um, I think he even might even put himself into the top five category. Uh, he was number one this year. But I think just collectively, the way he performs next year is going to make all those haters come back and say, all right, he's this guy's got it. Who, are you, who would be your five? Um, I would probably start with Joe Burrow. He's a Ooh, guy that okay, okay. wrist injury missed um, a good amount of the season this year, started the season off with a calf injury. I think we've easily Jake Browning comes in and he's a sensation. Uh, they lost Callahan, the offensive coordinator, but I feel like. We've easily in that AFC have like been like, all right, well, like we're not talking about Joe Burrow right now because he wasn't out there, which was an opportunity for and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen because Burrow's been that guy when it comes down to it, you know. So I think Joe Burrow, I agree one hundred percent on the CJ Stroud. He was unbelievable this year, being at NFL Honors, seeing him right there with his family and stuff, win Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year was tremendous. So I think that's definitely. Um, one of those guys, um, I would say a sleeper for me of somebody that I'm rooting hard for and I want to see what comes of it is Will Levis in Tennessee. Ooh, okay, I think Callahan okay. taking over as head coach, what he did with Burrow, obviously. But then obviously when Browning went down, them still being able to have success, I think went a very long way. So I'm, I'm excited to see him. I look at like Lamar and Tua. Lamar is a guy that like, to your point, I think he comes back with a vengeance. 
But like we've seen, like this is two time MVP. Like this dude yeah. is unbelievable. With Tua, I like that one because I felt like watching Tua in that playoff game when it was freezing cold. Yep. Like we needed more. We needed yeah. more from Tua than yeah, just the long pass. And Tua's my guy. I love him. His love competitive Tua. nature catches a lot of flags, shows up. I, I so I, I want to see that. I want to see more from Tua in that uh, respect to see some of that. Um, I'm looking at Bryce Young. Like you feel like something has to happen more <laughs> right, for right. that to get going. Um, I look at Kirk Cousins. Oh, okay. Everything that's happened. He's coming off the Achilles. He was dancing on the stage at honors. He looked like he has to be more as a free agent. They don't sign him back for right. whatever happens. And like Kirk Cousins was having an unbelievable year. So I think he comes back. The last guy I'll say is Jared Goff. Jared Goff to me is a guy, he leaves LA, doesn't have a good Super Bowl, and he's kind of just shipped out to get Matthew Stafford. And he has been so good for the Detroit Lions. So good. Who drafted and didn't hook her this year. So there's going to be conversations going into it from a contract standpoint with Jared Goff. I want to see what he does. We heard Dan Campbell after that conference championship game of saying like, this might've been our best shot of how hard it is to get back to that moment. I want to see, that's kind of my list of like guys that like I'm watching closely to okay. see what comes of them this next year. I like that, man. That's a great list. Uh, you know, Jason, you're one of the best in the industry. You kind of, you know, went from playing to right into the uh, studio and have done it flawlessly, man. So appreciate uh, you, bro. Same I to wanna, you, man. I appreciate the love, and and I, I want to also encourage you. Like you're you're older than me, and and I and I do view you as uh, not just a great player, but a great guy. And this industry, man, it can be it can be tough, right? It can be uh, very very negative. And I appreciate your positive energy. I appreciate the 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 teamwork aspect that you have about it. And I want to encourage you to continue to to do that, even as you get further away from the game. Don't let the world or the industry harden you. Uh, in that sense, it's been a joy to to watch you do everything that you're doing. You're killing it uh, on, on uh, was it Good Morning Football, and you know you guys are doing a really nice job. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the way you cover cover the game, and I appreciate you coming on the show, dropping some gems for us, man. It's been a it's been a pleasure. No doubt, man. I feel the same way. I appreciate you as well, bro. Turning your career into what you've done on ESPN, from calling games <laughs> to being in the studio to Monday Night Countdown, man. I know from being in it. It's not easy. Like you don't just wake up and talk ball. Like there's a right. lot of work and yep. a lot of sacrifices from a husband and a father standpoint. Yes, sir. So I appreciate you as well, bro. You know, I'm watching. And that's a wrap for episode 22 of RG3. And the ones want to say a huge shout out to the twin, not my twin, but the twin McCordy, Jason McCordy for coming on the show, having a good time. And hopefully you could take one thing. From what you listen to, apply it to your own life and become the one in that bad boy as well. Again, make sure you guys listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe to our YouTube page. And I got to say it again. RG3 and the Ones is a Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks, And it could not be done, of course, without you, but also not without our producers. Joanna does an amazing job. And our team over at Whispering Oaks Productions also does an amazing job of making all of this come to fruition. It's been a real joy and a pleasure to talk to you guys on the weekly basis, but without them, none of it would happen. So again, follow us, 
on social media at RG3 and the ones. Make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube page. You guys already know, before we get out of here, I always want to give you something to hold on to, some motivation. And, uh, you know, Valentine's Day just happened. And I've got these flowers right here for wifey to give to her and a giant teddy bear. And I just want you guys to know that, you know, there's somebody out there who has the key to your heart. They really do. And if you had an air tag on it, you'd have already found them. But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of love. There is no find my app when it comes to love. And it's not that you have to go find it. It will eventually find you. So just keep living your life. Be your best and most authentic self. And know that life is worth living when you have someone to love. Peace out.